Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. And no matter what you think, you are never alone. Hello, and welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number seven, Radiation Oncology. You have heard me say a thousand times before that together we will weather this storm, and that is so true. Y'all, if you've been diagnosed with breast cancer and you're having to walk this walk, you don't have to do it alone. We've had episodes where we've talked about how family can help, Your friends are there to support you as well as the community. All of these little flickers coming together is what helps strengthen that light out in the distance. And you are not alone. I think it's important for us to remember here that when you're going through this terrible time, this terrible trial in your life, remember that you have support. And part of that support network out there includes your physicians. They really do want to help. They want to support you as well. And I'm very excited for today's episode because we have with us another very special guest, Dr. Michael Hassell. He is a radiation oncologist and he's going to talk to us a little bit about what women can expect with radiation oncology to help settle the nerves of those that are getting ready to have that treatment done. Dr. Michael Hassell got his graduate degree from Rhodes College in 1999 and UNC Chapel Hill in 2001. He got his medical degree at Emory University School of Medicine in 2006. And then he did his internship at the University of Tennessee in 2007. He did his residency at the University of Chicago Hospital in 2011. And his specialty is in radiation oncology. He's board certified and practices at Memorial Health University Medical Center in Savannah, Georgia. I am beyond thrilled to welcome Dr. Hassell to our show today to help us understand a little bit more about what radiation therapy is all about. Keep in mind for those of you at home listening that this is in general. This is talking about what radiation therapy is all about in very general terms because every woman's cancer is unique to themselves. And so to get your your best understanding of your own personal cancer, you really need to talk to somebody that has reviewed your medical records. You need to speak with your own provider. But I'm so excited to have Dr. Hassell here to help us get a better understanding about what radiation therapy is all about. What does it do? How can it help us? And what can we expect when we go? Dr. Hassell, thank you so much for coming today. We are really happy to have you. Cancer, I know I've walked this road, and the the word cancer in and of itself is is terrifying. And the treatment that follows can sometimes be just as intimidating and scary. It sends our anxiety through the roof. So to help lessen this fear, I believe that information is meant to empower us, not to cripple us. 
And so I'm really glad that you're here to help shine a light on this topic and to settle those nerves of people that are listening who are getting ready to go in with this form of treatment, just kind of giving them an idea of what to expect. So welcome and thank you again for taking time out of your day. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay, so when somebody gets diagnosed with breast cancer, it doesn't automatically translate to they need radiation. It's going to depend on their specific case. And so just for those at home that are listening, a quick understanding, if somebody has breast cancer, they can either have a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. And depending on their specific cancer, in both cases, they could require radiation. It just kind of depends. And I know that I found this particularly interesting and a lot of the general public that I have talked to as well, when you think, oh wait, I had a mastectomy, I need radiation, people don't quite get that. What are you radiating? You know, like it's gone. But the literature out there does support it because, and it, it is a thing that Definitely. I want to make sure we debunk. So what, what is, what does the literature say about when radiation is recommended for women post-mastectomy? Sure. Um, so I may step back a little bit and just kind of start from the beginning. So you know, radiation is almost always recommended after a lumpectomy. Uh, there are multiple randomized trials that are now 20, 30 years old that show that if you don't do radiation after a lumpectomy, the risk of a recurrence in the breast is about three times higher. And if you do a lumpectomy plus radiation, you basically get the same result as you get from a mastectomy. Now, not everyone is a candidate for a lumpectomy, and some patients just may prefer to have a mastectomy, but that's kind of what happens with a lumpectomy. To answer your question, when a woman has had a mastectomy, it's a little different. Not everyone that has a mastectomy needs radiation. The biggest indications for what we call post-mastectomy radiation are if the tumor is bigger than five centimeters, so the tumor in the breast was bigger than five centimeters at initial diagnosis, or if you are lymph node positive. Um, And those aren't the only indications. If you have a number of kind of other high-risk factors, sometimes we'll still talk about doing post-mastectomy radiation, but those are the main two indications. And that's that's a good point that you added on there on that second, that, that last piece there. It's not the only thing because... I myself fell into what what I like to refer as my least favorite color, gray, the gray area. And I know that mine, okay, it might not have been five centimeters in size, but I had three of them. It might not have been lymph node positive, I think is considered like if it's a certain size in your lymph node too, right? What is, is that two millimeters, I think? Correct. Usually we think about it more if someone has what we call a macrometastasis in the lymph node, which is a lymph node bigger than two millimeters. You can have a micrometastasis where it's 0.2 to two millimeters, and then it's a little less certain as to how much benefit you're going to get from the radiation. Right. So, and I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that I pointed this piece out because there are, I mean, gray, there are so many shades of gray. So, just because my shade of gray had me go down a particular route. When I talk to other survivors or people that are going through it, my friends, whatever, they may have shade of gray too, but it might be completely unique, different shade. And so not to not to compare yourself and your story to the person next to you, but to actually take your medical history to your provider and lay it all out there. You're- you're exactly right. There's a lot more that goes into it than just 
two simple things like size of the tumor and the lymph nodes. There's the age of the patient. There's right. how, what is the grade of the tumor? You know, was it almost five centimeters, but not quite? There's a lot of things right. that factor into it. And basically what we're really trying to do is assess risk. Like how risky is it that this, your, this cancer in this particular person is gonna come back, you know, on the chest wall or in the regional lymph nodes. And right. there's a lot of things that drive that risk. And if the risk gets up to something that I would say is in the 15 to 20% range or higher, then it's probably worth thinking about worth doing the radiation. That's right. So let's continue now with the understanding that, that people that are listening, that they've, they've been diagnosed, they've gone to see their, their provider, and for whatever reason that they have been recommended to radiation. If they've been recommended to radiation, then walk us through this procedure. How does this work? First, you create a map. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the the first thing that we do, obviously, is meet the patient and do the consultation and look through all their records, just like you were talking about. And then once we've you know, spoken with the patient and come to a mutual kind of decision that we should do radiation, then the process of doing it is we want to map it out. And the mapping is really trying to get the patient in a position that's comfortable for them and reproducible for us. Right, um, and that's important. Yes. Getting them in that same exact position each time. Yes, because the radiation, every day you come in to get it, we're, we're delivering it based on how you were the day we mapped it. So right. we want you to match that same position. So what we, for breast cancer, what we're usually doing is making some kind of a mold or a cradle that kind of goes underneath the patient. What we use at Memorial is basically, it's almost like a bean bag, a thin bean bag. We put it under your back and get your arms up above your head. And then when we get you in a good position, we kind of suck there out of the bean bag and it turns it into a mold. And that's what you lay in for radiation every right. day. And we, we want it to be reproducible, but we also want it to be comfortable. Because right. if you're in a position that, that you can't tolerate for more than five minutes and you start wiggling around and get in the of treatment and get yeah. squirmy, then we're kind of missing the point too. So it's important for the patient to, you know, speak up and say, I, you know, this position doesn't work or my arms are starting to hurt. And so, right. so we know. Right. So be comfortable during that day when they do the mapping. And the mapping is done, um, is that, that's a CT it's scan? A C, yeah, it's a CT scan. So once we make the mold, then we put you through a CT scanner in that position. Then the next step is that that CT scan gets imported by some people in our department called dosimetrists. And then when they're kind of done importing it, they send it to me and I draw where I want the radiation to go. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of like almost like a coloring pencil right. or something. Right. And, and I can draw on the CAT scan. You know, I want to treat the chest wall. I want to treat the lymph nodes. I want to not treat the lung. So I actually draw the lung and the heart and all the things I don't want to treat also. Right. And so it's very specific and very tailored to that individual who had that scan done. Like their map is their map. That's and, correct. And, yes. it, and it's not like radiation is just getting hurled everywhere. The map, the whole point of it is to make sure that, that it's targeted in those particular areas that that their doctor deems necessary for their treatment. Correct. Yeah. The, it's customized to your anatomy. I mean, it is your anatomy. The plan is based on you. Um, right. And everyone is different, and everyone's positioning is a little different, and every, you know, the shape of everyone's chest wall is different. The location of their heart within their body is different from person to person. So we need to kind of see all that on a CAT scan so we can know what are the best angles to right. come in with at the radiation so that we kind of hit where we want to hit but not hit these other right. areas. So it's highly, highly personalized. And I will say from just that personal element here when you guys go in if you're having a ct scan 
they also use like blue marker or some kind of something to write on you and and that is in addition to the beanbag thing to kind of help them line you up in the same place correct yeah so when you um go in and get mapped they have lasers in that so the the room where you're laying to get the cat scan they have lasers in that room lasers that cause any harm to you just lasers that help us kind of know exactly the coordinates of right. what position you're in and those lasers we make marks on your body with this blue marker right. and it some places use tattoos or you may have right. heard of people getting tattoos we don't do that we usually just use kind of a, right. a, a marker that we know will last for right. you know a week and it lasts two. it definitely lasts y'all <laughs> Um, and then when you go to the treatment room, so, you know, a week later when we have your radiation plan ready and you go to the treatment room, we have the, uh, the same laser system in that room so we can line up to those blue marts to kind of make sure you're in the right position. Right. And in the old days, that was the only way we had to line you up. So yeah. the, the marts are, you know, part of them is kind of historical. We still use them in modern radiation as a starting point. But in, in modern times, we kind of line you up to those marts. But then once we have you lined up to those marts, we then actually do an X-ray before we turn the actual radiation on to verify that you're in the right position. So oh, okay. every day before you get treated, we're doing an X-ray to kind of prove to us that, it is that you exactly that where it needs to be. That it's in the right spot and then we're hitting the right spot. That's right. So, okay, so the mapping gets made and then they get scheduled in to come in for their appointments. And they come in every day for how long? Depends on the... It depends a little bit on the person, um, but basically you're here for about 15 to 30 minutes per day to get the radiation, depending on kind of the complexity of the plan. And how many treatments is really variable. You know, 15 years ago, I would have told you pretty much everyone's going to get six or six and a half weeks of radiation, but Mm -hmm. in modern times, you could get, still get six and a half weeks of radiation, or you could get as few as you know, five or ten treatments. It just um, depends, it depends on, the on your person. treatment plan. Right. Now, I will say for someone who's had a mastectomy, it's still almost always five to six and a half weeks. But mm-hmm. for patients who've had a lumpectomy, sometimes it can be only five or ten treatments total. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, and I also want to touch on this a little bit too. So they come in every day. They get used to going into that routine, come in, you know, they, they'll know their routine. They know what they're supposed to do. But if they come in on a day and the machine isn't working, and I want to make sure I talk about this because I don't want people to hear, wait, a radiation machine's not working, and to flip out. I want them to understand that it's it's okay. There are safety measures in place for a reason. So can you talk to us about that a little bit? Correct. Yeah, the machines are very precise, and it's, it's like a computer, mm-hmm. you know, how a computer can do all these fancy things, but sometimes your computer doesn't work and you don't understand how it can do all this stuff, but then today it won't work. And the machines like that, but on a scale of like a hundred or a thousand fold more complex, those machines, they cost anywhere from, you know, two to six million dollars and they have a lot of moving parts in them. And on top of that, because we're treating people, the kind of safety mechanisms in them are very robust. So it, it does not take you know, even the slightest thing not being right, then we've got to shut it down and fix it and correct it. And 
to give you an idea of how kind of finicky the machines can be, there's about 10 machines in this region, kind of this South Georgia re region, and there are two full-time service people whose mm. only job it is is to service those 10 machines. So that's a sign right there that it's a thing that it's, it happens. It's a thing. It's it's a thing. It's a, it's I mean it's kind of a normal right. maybe normal's not the right word, but it's certainly something that we know is going to happen. And I would say in an individual patient's treatment course, obviously it could vary, but it would be not surprising for at least one day for you to potentially right. miss a treatment because the machine is getting worked on. Well, uh, and, and when I was going through treatment, I was a friend of mine was up in New England and she was going through treatment as well. And it happened up there too. So it's, it's, it's definitely a thing, but I know, like I put it when I was talking to her, I put it in terms of, well, I'm never, I'm not going to stop flying in a plane or stop driving my car, but sometimes they need to go in for a checkup. And the added piece of awesomeness here is that there are so many safety checks. So if one little thing isn't working, then it says, I need a checkup now, please. And so it is, it is still completely safe. It's just it is, and and the machine's not going to come back online until it's been checked out right. by you know the service people that work for the company that makes it, and then also you know our radiation department has two physicists who are one of their main jobs is to make sure that the kind of output, the radiation output from those machines is is you know very precise in terms of exactly the energy being sent out or the dose being sent out and in terms of its precision in terms of kind of hitting a point in space or right. how well it localizes to where we want it to go yeah um, and and to give you an idea of like how precise that machine is it kind of rotating around a point in space and kind of aiming at a point in space it's within about a millimeter yeah wow um, that's pretty awesome yes. that's pretty awesome okay so let's say that if it does happen First of all, I want women to know, like, not to be upset or shocked if it dies. There's a reason, and it's okay. But then if it happens, what can they expect with their treatment plan? Like, that gets tagged on the... Yes. Uh, so if you miss one day, uh, if it's because the machine's down or because you're sick, um, or even sometimes someone's maybe needs a needs a weekend vacation, they want a Friday off, and, the, and we just tack that day on to the end. And in general, if you miss a day of radiation, it doesn't. it's not going to affect how well it works. We just tack that day onto the end. Now, if you miss a whole week for no, you know, for no reason, then then we do start to worry about is it going to work quite as well as we wanted it to. But a day is not going to make a difference. Right. And, and there, obviously, there's sometimes where patients have, you know, a side effect or something happens where they do miss a week, and that's a little bit different. But we don't want people to miss like a week, right. you know, kind of for no reason. Right. Right. Yeah. Just to reiterate then, the goal of radiation or one of the goals of radiation is to make sure that it's hitting that exact same place each and every time. And you've already kind of talked about ways that's achieved. You make a very detailed personalized map. They put the blue ink on there and line them up. You take an x-ray every day and then you have that mold, that beanbag mold behind them. Okay, so, so moving on a little bit, comparing to chemotherapy. Chemotherapy is more of a systemic form of treatment. So, and for those that don't know, that's basically all throughout your body. And radiation is much more localized to wherever it is that you had your cancer. In general terms, explain how this form of treatment, um, how does it affect one's prognosis? Good, great question. So you're, you're correct. So chemo, you know, it can be a pill. It's usually not. It's usually going in an IV and going everywhere. Radiation's aimed at a region. So usually we're aiming at the breast or aiming at the chest wall if a patient's had a mastectomy. And then sometimes we're also aiming at the lymph nodes. And 
the goal of the radiation is to make the cancer not come back in that region. And obviously how risky that is depends on the patient. But in general, radiation reduces the risk, kind of as just a general rule, reduces the risk of a recurrence by about threefold. So if you had a 30% risk of it coming back on the chest wall or the lymph nodes without radiation, you'd knock it down to a 10% risk with the radiation. Right. So you get about a threefold reduction in the risk of a recurrence. In women who are lymph node positive, you also get probably about a 5% improvement in their survival if you get radiation versus if you don't. That's not as big of a benefit, but if you think of it like that's, you know, every 20 women that get radiation, one more of them is going to be alive because right. they got the radiation. And if you're getting, you know, 5% more survival from radiation and 10%, you know, 5 to 10% more from chemotherapy and 5% more together, from endocrine therapy, just... you put it all together and suddenly, you know, your odds are 20% better of surviving than they were 30 or 40 years ago. And that right. uh, ends up adding up to a lot. Most of cancer care is not a magic bullet. It's usually much more kind of these incremental stepwise things where right. we're just making it a little bit better, a little bit better, and suddenly right. with all those things, it adds up to being a lot better. Right. And that's, we did an episode earlier on like, it was the top fives, and one of the things we were talking about was the top five things to ask your medical providers, and this kind of hits on one of them, is if you want to know that specific for you in your cancer case and, and everything that's made up your you know medical history and your cancer or whatever, that you ask that question. How will this treatment, whatever it is that they're recommending, in this case we're talking about radiation, go in, talk to your provider and say, how will this treatment affect my prognosis? And then they can give you that more specific tailored to you answer. I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, sometimes it's, numbers can get kind of overwhelming and people can throw too many statistics at you and it can make it tough but i you know everything we do in medicine be it radiation or chemotherapy or antibiotics or there's all you know almost anything you do in 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 medicine has you know it has benefits and it has risks mm -hmm. and if you don't understand what the benefit is it's it's really hard to know if you want to do something or how, how do you make the best decision for yourself if you don't understand how much it's going to help you. Um, so let's talk about those um, benefits then. What are some benefits to radiation therapy? I think you kind of really hit on it. But. Yeah, so, you know, uh, kind of go back to what you asked me before. Let's take someone who's had a mastectomy and, and you say, well, wh why would I need radiation? I've already had my whole breast removed. And so let's take someone who's had a mastectomy and they're lymph node positive. Well, how did the cancer get from the breast to the lymph nodes? Well, it traveled through the lymphatic system and the lymphatic system drains through your chest wall. So mm -hmm. the lymphatic system goes deep to where the surgeon cuts when they do a mastectomy. It actually drains through the chest wall, like through mm -hmm. the muscles and around the bones to get to the lymph nodes under your arm. And then you take the lymph nodes under your arm those lymph nodes that we call axillary lymph nodes that get taken out surgically, usually when you have a mastectomy, they don't really stop there. That's, mm -hmm. Those lymph nodes keep going up. That lymph node chain then goes up to the lymph nodes just below your collarbone, and then from there it goes to lymph nodes just above your collarbone. Mm -hmm. And the surgeon is never going to go in and sample those lymph nodes around your collarbone. It's right. too, it gets too risky. You have major nerves and blood vessels that are right. kind of in the way. So the way radiation's really working, or the, the reason you get a benefit, at least in someone who's had a mastectomy, is mainly from kind of treating these areas that you can't operate 
sprayed on, but it's easy for the radiate. The radiation right. just goes right through there and, and kind of cleans up any microscopic cells that right. are in that area. So that's, you know, that's kind of where the benefit comes right, from. Right. And then uh, I kind of already told you that the, the reduction in the risk of recurrence is right. about a threefold reduction. Which and that's is a pretty huge. big benefit yeah. uh, because, you know, most women, if, you know, if you're lymph node positive, after mastectomy, you probably do have somewhere between anywhere, anything from a 25 to, you know, 40% risk of it coming back on your chest wall or in your lymph nodes if you don't do the radiation. And then you do the radiation, you're mm-hmm. knocking that down to something like, you know, a 5 to 10% risk right. instead of a 25 to 40% risk. That's a big deal. Right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Is there a limit to the amount of radiation someone can have? Uh, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the the kind of way this was explained to patients for many years was, all right, we've done your radiation. That's the most you can get. You can't get radiated ever again. And the reality is that that's not exactly true. But for a first course of radiation, we do kind of have maximum doses that we usually use that mm-hmm. are based on the, med- you know, kind of the historical medical literature. Right. So we do kind of have a, a full dose that we're going up to. And if someone has a recurrence kind of in that same area where, you know, let's say five years later, unfortunately, it comes back, you know, could we radiate them again? We could certainly think about it. And there's definitely medical literature about re-irradiating. Almost mm-hmm. every site of the body has medical literature now about re-irradiating, but there's more risk. So it's definitely a very, you know, just like the first right. time around, it's a kind of customized discussion with you and your doctor it's even probably more, more so if yeah. you're talking about re-irradiation because the the side effect profile and the risk kind of goes up if you're treating right. the same area twice talking about risks not not necessarily like re-radiating but just in general radiation therapy either um, risks and or side effects what can people expect yeah so that's that's a great question and we probably should have probably should have talked about it already um, <laughs> so you know day to day when you get radiation you don't even know it's happening um, you just you come in you lay on the table there's therapists that help line you up once we get you in the right position and we check that x-ray to verify you're in the right position they turn this machine on and the machine it's kind of like a cat scanner it's it's not exactly like a cat scanner but it's very similar it's a big machine it's rotating around you it stops at a spot and shoot x-rays at you and then it moves to another angle and shoots x-rays at you and it may move to a few more angles and shoot x-rays at you but from your standpoint it just kind of seems like a cat scan you don't even know what happened mm-hmm. so day to day there's usually not you know for the vast majority of women there's not any kind of immediate side effect of radiation all of the side effects are kind of cumulative so if you're doing you know five weeks of radiation maybe around the second or third week that's when you'll start typically noticing some things and by far the two most common side effects are to have a little bit of tiredness it's not typically severe tiredness Um, most of the women I treat if they want to work during radiation they can some women if they're traveling long distance or they're just kind of you know worn out from all their treatment they may not want to work but if if you want to you usually can work through it Uh, you're not so tired that you couldn't work and you're not so tired that you couldn't do most of your normal activities but you feel a little tired and and you will get a skin almost everyone is going to get a skin reaction kind of like we call it like a sunburn or a suntan although it doesn't have anything to do with your skin complexion but it does kind of look like a sunburn or suntan Uh, and not your whole body is going to get that just where the radiation is being aimed right Right. 
And that usually goes away pretty fast, you know, about three weeks or so after you've finished radiation, usually the redness is about gone. The kind of tanning of the skin does take longer to fade away, but it generally kind of fades almost all the way away or close to back to normal. Those are the main two things. There's other things that have much smaller risk. I mentioned your lungs and your heart earlier. You know, the risk of causing like a cough from the radiation is about one in a hundred or two in a hundred, a pretty low risk. If you look at women who were treated many years ago uh, with kind of outdated techniques of radiation, when, when we didn't do a CAT scan to kind of know where is their heart, uh, mm, yeah. you look at women treated back then, there was you know, maybe a 1% or 2% increased risk of heart disease years down the right. road. In modern times, we expect that that's less because we're... And I want to interject here. I think this sure. is why it's so important that we continue to, you know, push forward on this, you know, mission because every you know, every year really like improvements are being made again and again and again. And like where we are, I mean, you said this, like where we are now is not where we were back then. And where we're going to be in five or 10 years is not where we are now when we keep pushing forward. Definitely. Yeah. The improvements in radiation have been pretty dramatic in the last 30 years. So if you talk to someone like a you know, a grandmother or a great-grandmother who got radiated in the 1970s or 80s, they're going to have a very different experience than what someone has Going now. through now. That's right. And you were talking about, so you were talking about, like, what they can expect when they go in there. And I think that that's very helpful for women that are just nervous, like, because I think the, I mean, cancer is scary, the idea of treatment is scary, and then the unknown is just scary. So letting them know, okay, this is, and you you kind of already laid this out, like, you're going to go in there, you're going to have the beanbag mold, you're going to put it, your arms over your head, they'll have the markings on you, like, all that stuff. But I also want to add on here, something that personally gave me a sigh of relief was that nothing touched me. Like nothing, I mean, that was a big, like after having had a mastectomy, after having had chemo when they're accessing my port and I'm around needles all the time and sharp things, like don't touch me. (laughs) And, and so that was like, just, I mean, it seems really small, right? But it was huge for me because like going to the doctor, if they have a sharp instrument, I'm like, ah. So, I mean, that was just something that knowing that going in there that, okay, I'm just going to lay on this table. It's going to circle around me. Nothing touches me and then like you said like you don't even really notice anything after the first handful of treatments it's not until later that you get those little reactions and if they get reactions then the provider can prescribe stuff for them right that's right and so I usually see my patients at least once a week during treatment. So in most places, it's a day. So my day is Tuesday. So I see all my patients on Tuesday usually that are that are undergoing radiation. And they can be seen any day. You know, if they're having a problem on Thursday, I'll see them on Thursday. But, you know, kind of in general, I'm always checking in at least once a week to kind of see how things are going, talk to them face-to-face, you know, see, check their skin, see what kind of reaction they're having. And I usually start women on uh, you know, pretty simple over-the-counter things like Radiogel or Aquaphor are good for the skin. And I usually have my patients just started even in the beginning before they even notice anything. And those are just things that kind of help keep the skin a little more moist. Um, is it true that aloe is not a good idea to use? I don't have a problem with aloe okay. uh, as long as it's not mixed with some of the aloe products are mixed with 
like alcohol in them because yeah. the, it gives you that, as the alcohol evaporates, it gives that like cooling cool, sensation. Yeah. But if I hadn't put an alcohol in the skin during radiation is probably not a great idea because right. it would just irritate it more. But if it's just a pure aloe, I don't have a problem with it. I still think probably aquaphor and radiogel are like uh-huh. the most, the things that have the best literature to support them. Right. And, and then the other thing is that uh, if, if a woman gets kind of a more redness, I'll, I'll prescribe a, a prescription steroid called mometazone that really cuts down on the redness right okay and then also sometimes um just so that people can understand a little bit about what to expect so if they go in there sometimes and this isn't necessarily always i think it's going to depend on the patient and the cancer and you know how what their treatment plan is but you do have this nice little ice pack (laughs) the bolus what is tell us about yeah what's the bolus yeah so bolus is basically a tissue equivalent and so you know one of the advantages one of the big advantages of modern day radiation versus you know 40 50 years ago is that the energy of the x-rays now is higher okay so if you go back and look at patients that were treated with cobalt that's relatively I don't know if you've ever heard of that but they used to have a, like a block of cobalt inside like a lead you know container and they kind of just open the doors and that would be kind of how you shot the radiation oh. this is many years ago but cobalt comes in at a low a lower energy so modern machines are higher energy x-rays the benefit of high energy is that it penetrates deeper into you before it gets to its full dose so it's skin sparing so if you're mm. shooting an x-ray into okay. someone with a higher energy they're going to get less dose on their skin than they are kind of deeper so which going. which a lot of times is good if you're treating lung cancer or prostate cancer and the tumor's deep inside your body i don't really want your skin to get a, yeah. a, a dose i prefer to get no dose because the right. tumor's nowhere near the skin but breast cancer is different because breast cancer is a is a tumor that started you know right right the breast tissue goes all the way up to the skin and if you've had a mastectomy there all the breast tissue is gone so the skin is basically kind of part of the target of what we're trying to actually treat so the bolus is a way to kind of bring the dose back up to the surface of the skin so that we don't spare the skin too much okay it's so breast cancer unlike most cancers i want the skin to get a little bit red because the skin is actually an area that's at risk because it needs to be treated because i don't want the tumor to come back there right exactly for coming back there so it needs to get some redness and the bolus just kind of brings the dose out to the surface of the skin a little bit it's a tricky thing it's like it's like the three bears, you know, you don't want too little and you don't right. want too much. You want it to be <laughs> just deluxe. right. Yeah, yeah I want exactly. It to be like, I want it to be just a, a just the right amount of redness. So some patients, I, I usually start with bolus. You know, some patients I pull it off halfway through. Some patients it might be a little earlier. Some patients it's a little later. Usually yeah. at some point during the treatment, I'm taking the bolus off because right. I can tell their skin's getting red enough and I don't need it to get any more red. Right. Um, that's, that's pretty interesting. I didn't know all that about the skin. That's awesome. The things that they know nowadays, right? Right. <laughs> so, okay, so what is the radiologist oncologist perspective on reconstruction? Like, so if somebody has to have, um, they have breast cancer and they have a mastectomy, if they want to have reconstruction, ideally, like, how does that mash up on the timeline with radiation? Yeah, great, great question. And this is a hard question to answer because yeah. the literature for a lot of of breast cancer care is very much based on these randomized trials where we've taken thousands of women and half of them got one treatment and half got the other and we kind of proven that which way is the better way to do it reconstruction is not kind of quite that 
scientific and mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes into the decision you know between the patient and the plastic surgeon as to kind of what's the best reconstruction for that patient should it be an implant should it be their own tissue like mm-hmm. as a flap from somewhere else but in general kind of my take on it is that if, if you're going to have autologous reconstruction like you're going to have a tram flap or a deep flap or, or you know mm-hmm. kind of a, a flap that's going to come from one part of your body to kind of reconstruct your breath, breast with usually I think it makes more sense to do the radiation first and mm-hmm. then do the flap later so that I'm not radiating, radiating something that doesn't need that to doesn't be really radiated. have to be yeah. radiated that's my preference that's not how it always works because some women some women really want they don't want to have six months where they're where they don't have a breast you know like that's like something that's really important to them so some some women kind of choose to do the reconstruction earlier but my preference if you're doing autologous reconstruction is to do the radiation first and then do the reconstruction after if you're doing implant reconstruction the way we used to think was the best way to do it was to put in a tissue expander mm-hmm. first so so you would have your mastectomy you, you might have had chemo before surgery you might have chemo after surgery but you have your mastectomy at the same time you have your mastectomy the plastic surgeon puts in a tissue expander which is kind of like an implant but it's designed to be temporary and it's designed to be uh, changeable so you can mm-hmm. actually inflate it or deflate it so uh, they usually have it in basically deflated because your skin's usually pretty tight after a mastectomy. And mm-hmm. over time, they'll inflate this. The, it's basically like a balloon, and they'll right. inflate it and it'll stretch the skin out uh, so that your skin's kind of ready later down the road to accept a, 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 a real implant. Right. Um, and so if you're having implant reconstruction, my preference has you know, kind of historically been that you have the expander placed, then we do the radiation. And the nice thing about that is that sometimes I might want them to inflate or deflate the expander a little bit to help me kind of with my beam angles. Right. So if you don't have a permanent implant in, then it's easier to that. kind of modify things if we need to to make the radiation work. And then, you know, a few months after the radiation, you would then take the, the you go back to surgery and they take the expander out and put a permanent implant in. Right. Uh, there is some movement now towards putting in uh, what they call direct to implant so you put the implant in right away at the same time you have your mastectomy and then they put some kind of some uh, coating on top of it that's supposed to kind of help protect it from the radiation Mm -hmm. or or protect some of the side effects of the radiation then you radiate the implant but still kind of I think the most tried and true ways historically have been if you're having autologous reconstruction to do radiation then do the reconstruction and if you're having implant reconstruction to do an expander then the radiation and then then the the implant and then the switch out Mm -hmm. okay so surgery and chemotherapy and radiation is there a set order on what should happen first, second, third, or is it real? Is that really something that's tailored to that individual? Because I know everybody. We talked about you know black and white. You know if your cancer is this big, if you have lymph node involvement versus all the shades of gray. You know whatever. Like, is it going to be dependent on where they are on that spectrum? What gets recommended? It's it's definitely something that's tailored to the patient. In in general terms usually still the most common thing to do in the United States is to do surgery first then chemo if you need it now remember a lot of women don't need chemo these days but surgery then chemo if needed then radiation then 
hormone blockade if you're hormone receptor positive. Right. That's kind of the typical sequence. However, there are definitely patients where we would consider doing the chemotherapy before the surgery. So let's say you have a tumor that's, you know, four centimeters and or five centimeters, and, and the patient's maybe right at the cusp of whether they could have a lumpectomy or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you shrink the tumor down, some with chemotherapy, you may make you may improve their chances of being able of to have a lumpectomy instead of a mastectomy. So that would be a reason why we might start with chemotherapy. Um, the patients who are, not to get too technical, but the patients who are HER2 new positive, mm-hmm. the chemotherapy is so effective with, when you're HER2 new positive now, and it's really not the chemotherapy, it's the HER2 new targeted agents are so effective that they, you know, that you have such a good response that usually for those patients, uh, unless the tumor is really small, we usually start with chemotherapy now to try to kind of get a, right. a really good response from it. So, so that's, radiation is always coming after, uh, pretty much always comes after surgery. It's the chemotherapy is the question, does it come before or Come before or after, or after. gotcha, surgery? okay. Yeah. And, and again, women need to remember that, like, they need to take their entire medical, their bucket of information about themselves, take it to their provider and say, this is my story. What, how does the literature line up with this, with me? Where do I fit in here? And have that, have that really direct conversation with their provider. Okay, so I have one more question for you. If there is one thing, any one thing that you would like women fighting breast cancer who are out there listening to us now, if, you, if there's any one thing that you would want them to walk away knowing, what, what, would, that, what would that be? I, I might have two things. Okay. Um, and the first one is uh, actually the intro to your podcast, which is that you're not alone, that you, there, it feels like it you know, in the beginning because you're, you know, someone's cancer is, I think, probably the scariest kind of medical diagnosis you can be given, even though you know, with breast cancer, the prognosis is way better than a lot of other medical conditions, right. but it's so scary to hear that you have cancer and you feel like you're kind of on this island, but there's, you know, there are tons of resources for you that, you know, just at, at Memorial, we have, we have social workers that can help with lodging, insurance questions, disability questions, you know, gas cards if you come from a long way away. We have lymphedema therapists if you get lymphedema. We have a dietitian. We have a clinical trials department. We have cancer support group, multiple cancer support groups, uh, and a team of doctors that are all kind of on on your side and, right. and, and trying to help you and do the best we can for you. And you're also not alone because breast cancer is common. You know, one in eight women get right. breast cancer. My grandmother had breast cancer. My mom has had breast cancer. You know, if, if you have breast cancer, I can almost guarantee you that someone you know also has had breast cancer and there are people out there to talk to like you. Right. Um, <laughs> and so, so that's, I think, one thing. And then the, the other thing is that to know that, you know, the survival rates of breast cancer are really good. Um, right. And it doesn't mean that we win every time, but you know the majority of women that get breast cancer, we are curing them. Okay, and and most women now are either stage zero or stage one, where you know the cure rates are over ninety percent. Right. Okay. Um, so it it's it's a long 
it can feel like a long process, especially right. if you get chemotherapy too. I mean, it may feel like six or 12 months of your life that you've kind of devoted to this you know, treatment, but at the end of the day, the odds of getting rid of it are really good. Right. And it is, it is daunting when you're in the midst of it. It does seem like an eternity because nobody wants to be doing this. Nobody wants to hear that they have cancer and nobody wants to be doing any of the treatments that come along with that. That's not something that somebody says, oh yeah, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants that. But at the end of the day, when you, when you look back at said journey and, and you're on the other side, you're like, okay, it was, it was a bump. It was a little road bump. And I mean, it was not a pleasant one. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm staying until I'm 95 is the goal, right? So, so in, in that perspective, it's just a tiny little you know, bump in the road. But also making sure that women know too that, and I have said this before, like one of the most beautiful gifts that we can have is a journey in and of itself because the journey means that you are still moving, you are still going, you still get to get up every single day and do something. So no matter what your your diagnosis is or even your prognosis, like what, what things look like for you, keep getting up every day and pushing forward because that in and of itself is a beautiful gift. So thank you so much for coming and taking the time out of your very busy day. We appreciate all of the information that you helped us hear. And I know that it's going to be empowering for so many women to hear that they're, they are not alone. Well, thank you for doing this. It's really inspiring to see my patients kind of giving back to, to the future patients yes. that will come after them. Well, thank you. And thank you, too, for those of you at home who joined us today as well. I hope that you found some of the things that we've talked about today with radiation oncology helpful. For more information, visit our online breast cancer resource center at www.togetherweweather.org. And I'm looking forward to speaking with you again next week. Until then, remember that together we weather this storm. You are never alone.